Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So, yeah, I'm Jake Burkett and um, I'm from Graylian Games and I formed uh, my company in 2005. I used to make business software, um, but my sort of dream was always to make uh, games. And I did that as a hobby for 20 plus years. Um, and then I eventually set up my own company and started to make games. And I've been doing that for 14 years this summer. Um, and I've made 11 games, working on my 12th one now. So that's kind of cool. Um, and that means I've been sustainable to a certain extent, though there have been many ups and downs. Um, and we can sort of delve into that um, as well as my tactics for being sustainable um, in this talk. I do need to probably switch Twitch back on to make sure I can hear, hear you guys if you have another question. Okay, well, we've, uh, we've pulled our mics down to let you talk, and then we can, we'll come in uh, as soon as we do have a question that we want to ask for you. So it'll be interview style, and I'll be running it while you talk. So it'll mainly be me and you, primarily right now. Okay. All right, cool. So first question for me is, you said you've been, you, this was a part-time hobby that has now become your full-time gig. Can you talk about that moment where you had to make the jump, where you knew, like, you know what? I'm going to do this full time. When did that come and what were the circumstances at that period of time that you were faced with? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I was making business software full time, but I was making a game in my spare time and I was staying up super late every night um, coding to like 4 a.m. And I felt like a zombie and I realized that I couldn't continue to make games like a zombie every night uh, and I wanted to just really do it full-time so i decided to make this switch over to full-time dev um the issue there being that uh you know i sort of assumed i'd make loads of money and it would be great but of course it took a long time to make money and it was a big struggle but i i wanted to do it anyway because it had been my dream for so many years um and i spoke to my wife about it and and she you know was supportive of that and i did need to support myself via many different other sort of income streams at the beginning whilst I sort of worked on uh, my first few games. All right. And what was the first game that you decided to go with once you, like, after you had made the jump, you're like, okay, now I'm doing this professionally. What was the first game that you put your time and efforts into to start developing? Okay, sure. So I was actually making a game called Iron Fist at the time, which was a sort of uh, platform game where you're a kung fu um, expert and you go around and just beat people up and uh, this, this was great fun and I was having good fun making this game but I realized at the time there wasn't a market for that because Steam didn't really exist then and nor did or it did but it wasn't open to other indies um, and there wasn't really a market for this game believe it or not so I switched over to making um, casual games because Big Fish Games and Real Arcade and all these oh, other yeah. sites were big at yep. the time. And you could make some kind of cool puzzle games on there um, and make money if you made the right sort of one. So that's kind of what I switched over and did. Um, 
And my first one was a Christmas theme match three game, which if anyone's seen my GDC talk, I've mentioned that um, on there. But it wasn't a big success at all. Unfortunately, it, you know, only made a couple of thousand dollars over, what, 12 years or something. So it wasn't a big success at all. But it had sold more than one unit. And I um, went on and, and sold, um, made more games and kept going from then on really it was kind of encouraging that somebody bought my game at least yeah i i know that feeling uh having done like a couple of indie iphone games myself but a, a question that we do want to ask especially since you have so much experience here is roughly because we have a lot of people on twitch youtube who are probably looking to get into this or hobbyists themselves uh how long would you say you should spend you know kind of developing or making your indie games like what I, do you have like a cutoff point or what's your strategy for kind of identifying like the proper scope Okay, sure. Good question. So when um, I first started making these games, they were very short, actually. Some of them only took me three months long, some of them sort of six months long. Um, and the ones that were successful made a good amount of profit per hour. I mean, I track the time that I work on all of my games. So, you know, I log the hours, I look at the money that comes in and just do a simple sum to see how, how much I'm earning. Um but I did a survey on Twitter a while ago, and, and what I found out was many devs had been working on their game for more than a year, but some of them like more than three years. And I was like, I'm really dubious about how profitable a game that you, you know, you spend three plus years on can be. Um, the longest game I've worked on was two and a half years, and it was too long. It was too overscoped. There was too much in it. Um, and it's made me quite a low amount per hour that I worked on it compared to games that I worked on a lot quicker. Um, you know, and I've got some sort of examples I can uh, give if that would be helpful. Oh, of course. I mean, we'd love to hear. Uh, do you have extra materials that you need to share or can you just like, recite? Just let us know so we can prepare on our end. Oh, yeah. It's okay. I've got notes on a side screen here. So oh, okay. <laughs> I prepared. Um, so, for example, uh, if you were to spend... Um, a year making a game and it was and it was you and you hired say um, an artist or two and some sound people whatever and you spent maybe about $35,000 on contractors okay and uh, your game if it grossed $100,000 on Steam uh, you would lose $35,000 to Steam for, for their cut and for things like um, sales tax and refunds and so on then you'd have to take $35,000 off for the contractors, and that leaves you with only $30,000 for you, right? Off of $100,000. Um, and if you spent oh, a year on it and you divide up the average amount of 40 hours per week, you end up with $14 an hour for a year's worth of work. Um, and, okay, that's more than maybe working in that game. You know, your dollars per hour would be seven, which is definitely a problem. Um and if your game didn't make 100000 and only made 10000 like many indie games don't even make that much, then you've worked for $1.40 an hour. So this is the kind of mathematics which uh, you, people need to be realistic about um, if they're full-time indie. It's different if you're a hobbyist um, or if you've got funding, and we can sort of go into that um, in a minute. Okay, so... 
I'm assuming uh, you did the same kind of conversion on your first project, especially the one you said, oh, it didn't end up being super profitable, but you, you know, you did make it, you followed through and you were a professional on it, I guess. You don't have to tell me the number, but what was your reaction to like seeing maybe the initial sales of your first product after being professional? Be like, okay, we did it. Here's our game. And then three months later, you check back in and you do the formula and you say, oh, oh boy, <laughs> my, my hourly rate. <laughs> How did you feel? And can you take us through? Well, it's funny because it was mixed because I was genuinely happy that it had sold anything. Um, you know, somebody bought my game. Great. It's something I can build upon. That was the positive aspect. But the dollars per hour uh, over 12 years is something like six or seven dollars an hour. So it's terrible, right? 12 years of sales, you know. But at the beginning, it was like one dollar an hour or something. One, it was, it was, oh, It was not a viable business at all. So... That was obviously very disappointing because I was naive and I thought back in 2005, yeah, I can make video games and sell them on the internet and they'll make money and it would be awesome. And that just turned out not to be the reality. It took 18 months before my first game uh, that actually made me any kind of decent money. Um, so that was a lot of practice, learning the market, working with the distributors and a publisher and all that kind of stuff. All right. So my next question uh and this one, it's a little selfish, but like I'm always looking for those motivating moments where it's like, okay, this wasn't the ideal scenario after I've tried very hard to make something, but how do I collect myself? How do I reorganize and then say, but I'm a business, so here's the next product, here's the next effort, and we're going to do it again, but we're going to do it better, I guess. So transitioning away from the first product to the second game that you developed, I guess, can you take us through and give our audience advice on, on doing that? Uh, okay, sure. With well, the second product, to be honest, wasn't a lot better than the first one. It didn't sell very well either. Um, that was actually because I had a mismatch with the audience. I hired a guy who made some pixel art for a match three game, but the audience didn't want pixel art. They wanted either nice painted art or, or 3D art. But the, the, a better transition would be the game after that. Um, we hired some decent artists who made some really nice backgrounds, a decent UI, some nice looking shapes that were 3D rendered and span around. And we hired uh, a musician who did really great classical music. We got some decent sound effects in. So the whole game was just a whole level of polish above the first few games. So I think that was my mistake with the first few games is they were like 1990 shareware sort of level of quality. And... <laughs> It wasn't good enough for the market, but as soon as I upped the quality, suddenly people paid interest and, and started to, to buy the games. And then I just doubled down on that, really, um, keeping upping the quality, but, but within a certain cost bracket, because within that market, if you spent too much, you wouldn't make the money back. But if you spent a certain amount, you could do. And that, I think that's the same even, even on Steam. Um, you know, a lot of people, I see them spending money on sort of voice actors and going to shows and spending it on, um, you know, all sorts of things, hiring orchestras and stuff like this. And it's like, unless you're a big studio and you, you've got some guaranteed hit, which there's no such thing, you, you shouldn't be wasting your money on all this stuff. You do need enough to hit a certain quality bar, but you need to analyze, are you spending the money in the right areas? Um, and are you going to get a return on that? That's if you're doing it from a business point of view. It's very different if you're a hobbyist or you're trying to, you've got some grant or money and you can just do whatever. But but it's very rare to be in that situation. 
Uh, I do have a loaded question, though. We wrote down a question that we wanted to ask you specifically. The Viceroy of all game data. Uh, we wanted to know, you're well known for sharing detailed data collected from your indies. Uh, can you tell us about that and why you're so forthcoming with uh, performance and metrics and things for the community? Sure. Um, so, well, I've always shared stuff just because I find it interesting. And when you share stuff, you get other people chime in with their own data and thoughts and helps the analysis really i mean not everyone likes to share their data but i've i've always liked to be open about it um and one of the big things that i did last year was i worked out this kind of magic number which is if you have a certain amount of wish lists before your game launches on steam and you multiply it by 0.5 or you know divide it by two that gives you the sales you are likely to make in your first week on Steam. Mm, I like that. Um, though that's not always certain. You know, some people get double and some people get half. Sure. Um, but it's, it feels like a good... Like, it, it, at it's, least a good it's a good ratio, and a yeah. hell of a lot of people have used that since then to um, gauge the possible success of their game. Man, so if I can make a title that gets me two million wish lists, that's, that should be... A million sales first week. I'm excited. No, but I, I, I totally understand the ratio because it's hard to turn an intangible idea into some sort of an expectation. But you'd be foolish to at least not think about some sort of way of trying to at least gauge what you can anticipate coming in, you know? So uh, what have you found to be some of the best tools, I guess, in helping you sustain as an indie developer outside of game development software, right? Like, I don't know, sure, you might say something like a QuickBooks, but maybe there's like a third-party thing that you use uh, that helps you on the day-to-day -day that other developers actually don't know about yet that helps you specifically, like with asset management or with time management or scheduling. Okay, sure. Um to be honest, I'm a bit of an Excel nerd, so I use Excel for my accounts. I do most of my accounts and then send them off at the end of the year to get them stamped by an official accountant. I use Excel for my uh, game design documents and, and numbers and charts and obviously track all my sales and stuff like that. So Excel is your friend or a Google equivalent, I guess. Um, also... I use just Notepad a lot, or Notepad++, which is pretty awesome. Um, just mostly really to manage my sort of day-to-day -day tasks. I mean, I put everything in a sort of big spreadsheet for the project, but I like to sort of split out from that a smaller bunch of tasks that I'm working on now. I used to use a Notepad and Pen, but now I prefer using something digital because I can edit it and shuffle it around. So... Those are the sort of main two tools I use. And then I used to use Dropbox. Now, this will make a lot of people out there cringe. But instead of using source control, because it's just me, I just have my stuff on Dropbox. And I can roll back if I need to. And I also back it up regularly anyway. And that, that seems to work for me. I use Photoshop a lot, which isn't exactly a programming tool. But I am having to constantly um, fiddle around with art or take screenshots for marketing and i use um, obs to capture video and stick it online uh, you know for, for to get wish lists basically oh nice actually so i'm not sure there's any magic bullets there just kind of standard stuff well you know it's, it's worth digging sometimes you do find treasure yeah i do have a question though like uh the indie landscape right now is is very 
fruitful, uh, but also people can say it's very saturated. And so, if if anything, the Epic Game Store has created somewhat of a ruffle, uh, at least providing another avenue for developers out there. Um, but there is this oncoming fear of the uh, indie apocalypse where a lot of indie developers are having a hard time uh, with so many choices for consumers now. What is your opinion on that, being on the front lines, uh, doing this for over 10 years now? Um, I would definitely say the indie apocalypse is real. Some people say it isn't. And it's actually been going on for a long time. It's like a slow event, not really um, a sudden thing that's occurred. Just, you know, there are so many more games on Steam and, and it used to be a curated store and now it's it's not really. So um, you you are competing with a lot of other games. Now, a lot of them don't always get shelf space because they're just not even selling enough to register with the Valve algorithms. Um, but they did change things last year and made it so that really the algorithm only shows pretty popular games. So a lot of indies found their games... Um, less visible and their sales dropped a lot accordingly and, and mine were unfortunately in that batch so yeah it, it's very difficult and that is why I've, I've been thinking more and more about what why you shouldn't spend long making your game um got to keep your costs down and so on but there are other things like you said about the epic store unfortunately the only people who are making money off that at the moment are devs who are already sort of multi-millionaires who've got famous games which then epic come to them and say do you want to put your next game on our store i totally get why they're doing that and and great to the people who've done that uh, but that doesn't help me either right because <laughs> they haven't come to me so um but but you know it does put pressure on on steam to to hopefully lower their rev share especially for indies or for a certain amount like up to the first hundred thousand dollars um we will see what happens there and also epic may open up to people like me later on and i hope it does and it's another avenue and then there's still stuff like okay should i be porting my games not to mobile because i think that's um really really difficult due to all the free to play games i mean it, it's way worse than steam um console yes on switch a lot of people are finding that to be profitable more profitable than steam um but playstation 4 and xbox you, you know one aren't really selling as many uh, copies of games as, as on switch but may still be viable and there may be new platforms coming along we've got google streaming things apple arcade um who knows what's sort of around the corner ps5 so there's always an opportunity when new platforms come along and i think it's worth uh trying to get in on those but of course it, it always helped if you're established um and you've got a, a, a game to your name if you see what i mean so anyway um there are other ways to make money, by the way, which is some countries have grants or tax relief, and, and they have those in this country, the UK. Um, they do in Canada, some other places. And you can try to get investment um, or you know publisher funding, stuff like that. But again, you need a track record a bit to do that, or one hell of a good idea. Oh, sorry, we're back. I had to pull down the audio on the microphone so I could adjust my chair. <laughs> but uh, I do have a question oh. <laughs> when it comes to um, it's very popular obviously it may be uh, cost effective to create your own engine 
right? With the onslaught of new engines like Unity and Unreal making it more and more, uh, making it more and more easier for the indie developer, what is your opinion on uh, developers out there looking to make their own engine versus using something like Unity right off the bat? Okay, sure. So, well, I did make my own engine, uh, but it was in a language called Blitz Max, which no one's really ever heard of, but it handled some low-level stuff like drawing and sound and so on. But I wrote a whole game engine on top with sprites and particles and um, menus and everything you need for a game, really. And that taught me absolutely loads uh, about all aspects of making a game, really. Um, so I, I think making your own engine is super valuable, but it's also quite difficult for a lot of people. Like they would have to use C++ or something like that. Um, and so there's a certain sort of skill gate to do that. And you can also get stuck in the weeds. Like many people spend years and years making an engine and never actually ship anything. What I did is I spent three months building the engine, then shipped my first game. And then every game I enhanced the engine a bit more and kept making games. So um, that was a case of the engine was properly used. It wasn't just a sort of project which I could spend years on. Um, but of course, these days, you know, we've got Unity, Unreal, Game Maker. I mean, there's so many, so many things, which is great for people who want to make games. Um, but it also means that more people are making games. So you've got that sort of thing. And the other th thing that I think is a bit dangerous is unity makes it very easy to make um 3d games and so the problem is all kind of 3d games need more complex assets and animation and so on and it takes longer to program 3d games and quite a lot of indies i know have fallen into the trap of making 3d games and their project length has, has expanded and of course that means ultimately if it doesn't sell more then um less dollars per hour at the end so that's why i've personally stuck to 2d I know some people disagree with that because they're very fast at 3D and they've got the right sort of tools and pipeline and are skilled at it. Okay, great. But it, it can be a problematic area for some people. So that's kind of my feeling on, on engines. So on the topic of you know sustainability for the audience sake, uh, asking on their behalf, what would you say would be your most common problem that you encounter uh, all the time in every project? It's something that you like, like, for example, I think marketing could be something that I would say is my most common problem that we encounter with whatever we do, like trying to find a way to make noise and get reception. Uh, what would you say is the most common problem that you find that you have to encounter as an indie developer with a long track record? Um, well, definitely marketing is difficult and we're, we are gaining experience in that and you can obviously spend money to get people to help with that as well if you, if you have the money. Um, so that's a big problem, but that's a whole big area. But in fact, I think the biggest problem is overscoping your game. Okay, so that's like you've got all these ideas. Uh, you you want to make the game be like this. You start work on it and you discover that everything takes at least twice as long as you thought. And all these cool ideas you've got, you, you know, you need to start axing them or slimming them down. And like, for example, I made this card game um, recently and I'm working on another one now called Ancient Enemy. And every card in the game requires graphics, text, sound effects, um, some kind of code and rules. 
if I localize it, it needs localization, it needs testing, it needs balancing, and that's just for a single card, right? And each of those things can take hours and hours each. So when you've got many of those in a game, oh, just add another 10 items here, 10 items there, you're adding weeks and weeks of development time. So overscoping is the real issue for many indies, including myself. One way I help with that is I make a big list of all the um, tasks that I need to do and I constantly review it and reevaluate whether those things are still important in the game. And also if I come up with new ideas midway through, which is often the case, um, I put them on a separate list called a polish list and um, then I kind of ignore them really. And unless they're amazing and need to be done right now because they obviously make everything better, they stay on this list. And then when I ship the game, you can then listen to what players say and find out they only really want 5% of your polish list and you can implement those and, and ship them in an update. Whereas if you put the other 95% in, you have spent months and months more on the project. So yeah, overscoping is the main issue and it's something that everybody needs to learn to do better, including myself and I'm on my 12th game. You got me there because I, I thought marketing was mine, but I agree. Feature creep, overscope, getting to 80%, then discovering that I need an additional 40% just because I think I need it. Like, oh, man, this other game did this. Well, we got to add that. We're competing with them. Like, I, I see that, that overscope, that feature creep also being prevalent across a lot of the student projects that we've seen, across a lot of the other fellow indie devs when they're working on stuff. Um, bloat attacks us all. <laughs> It does. So I'm going to switch to here one second. All right. So my next question for you is looking at the landscape of where players can or where developers can place their games, right? We talk about Steam. We talk about, you said the Epic Game Store now has entered the fray. You have places like uh, itch.io and like all these different outlets where games can be released. But I do kind of want to focus on Steam for a moment because Steam kind of pioneered through as a PC juggernaut, replacing like pretty much all of PC sales brick and mortar style everyone goes to steam if they're getting pc games more or less like i'm speaking very generally here but now i'm starting to see because of how much trash and garbage exists on steam and trying to compete and find a window on steam like it almost feels like if you're a small person or you're making an indie game why like what's the benefit of even going to steam unless they're going to give you feature space like if you cuts, can't yeah. lock in like 20 minutes or two days on the front screen like hey this game is on steam now if you don't get that it almost feels like it's useless to go to steam and they still take such a heavy cut mm -hmm. even if they don't promote your game mm -hmm. yeah well i think you're right about that um basically the difficulty is that there isn't anywhere else to go Right. So if you're making games on PC, you can't go on GOG or Humble um, unless they invite you or, you know, you can send them your game, but they, they may turn it down because they are curated stores. So they are turning away trash, but also, you know, maybe quite good games. Um, so you, you can't really do that. You could put your game on itch. Um, but the problem there is your sales are going to be way too small. So if you don't put your, your game on Steam on PC, then you're not going to be able to make a profit and be a full-time business. So Steam is kind of like your only option at the moment, unless Epic changes things up. Um, so you have to work within their system, and that's not very easy. And to be honest, I think only 1% of games are the type of games that make enough money that the, the devs get sort of super wealthy, and, and that's great. And maybe only 5%. 10% maximum make the money back that the dev can carry on. I, I think most games are not making enough money to, to sustain 
full-time development um but then again there's a lot of hobbyists putting games on there too and if you can do this as a hobby and, and get someone else to um you know pay the bills for your 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 house you know or maybe you've got a job and it's your part-time then that's fine right but full-time i'm afraid you've got to work with steam and just do your best to analyze the market reduce your scope try not to spend too much mm. get the marketing right get the game out there you've got to make the right game for the market um and part of the problem these days is like i'm an established dev and people i've got a following on twitter facebook newsletter all this sort of stuff and if i wasn't and i had to start from scratch i think it would be incredibly difficult um mm. to uh you know get a following and build up those wish lists and, and launch yeah. the game on steam to make money so absolutely people shouldn't really jump in full time i think that they should test the water to you know make some games as a hobby try to build up a sort of cult following get on twitter and other places reddit and so on and start building up awareness of themselves and their games and keep going at that before making the leap to full-time full indian you should only do that when you've got enough money saved up for for twice the length of, that you think the project will take because <laughs> it's always going to take longer right so yeah. it's kind of like you, you've got to work with steam and i'm trying to work with them on my current game and there's, there's good people there trying to make the platform better and so on it's just there's a lot of content on it so so it is hard to stand out you're dead right all right uh follow-up question for me then is now admitting that like you know larry no you should go to steam right like that it's a necessity regardless of the difficulties it's an essential part of your business as an indie dev for pc i want to create a scenario for you and let's just let's just see this could be really fun or it could be very difficult so this might be a reality for a lot of people watching and listening right now you finished your game right you have one thousand dollars as a marketing budget so how would you market your next game if all you had was a thousand dollars to spend to market it what would your strategy be a thousand dollars yeah that isn't much um but it's more than zero so there's a thing called key mailer and i think that's 150 dollars to sign up to and i would use that to um make sure you send out keys to streamers um, and I think they can also request them through there so it's a kind of central repository to handle that so key mailer is $150 and then of all the different kinds of ads um, Cliff Harris is very experienced with doing ads as an indie and he and other people I've, I've heard have said that Facebook ads generate the best um, sort of clicks through and give you the best control really so you would you would uh, drive Facebook ads to your Steam page to get wish lists before you launch and then you, you've got to still do all the sort of um, grassroots stuff like getting on Twitter and posting stuff on Imgur, however you say that Instagram, you know, Reddit wherever the hell you can you've got to sort of keep putting the word out um, though that's not enough money to go to a show of course so you can't do that um, so it would be ads and key mail if you had a bit more you might be able to work with a marketing company um, and pay them a, a certain fee. How much but, would you um, say is a bit more? You like know, two thousand. It, it's pretty tricky. Three thousand. Oh, did you hear me? Yeah. Sorry. Say that oh, again. Okay. So I was saying, you said if you had a bit more, you could work with a marketing company. So just to paint that picture, how much would you say that bit more is? Like a three thousand dollar marketing budget, maybe five thousand or. Oh, well, for, for example, there's a company called Evolve PR based in Vancouver, and they've got a, a particular 
I think you package you can sign up to for sort of fifteen hundred bucks um, or more. I mean that's like an entry level. There are other marketing companies that may charge you less, but it, it's like what are they doing for the for the money? If they're just sending out a bunch of emails, it's not really worth it. But they've got to have good contacts and be able to get your game in front of those contacts um, to stream, basically, or press. Well, uh, Jake, I, I definitely have a question. Um, when it comes to uh, putting your games out there and um, talking to all this press and, like, always opening yourself up to different avenues and looking at like Epic Game Store, even though you pointed out like these are for the big hitters, obviously their strategy over there is very clear. They want to make a lot of noise, so they're going to go with the big hitters that are already doing well. Um, what has been the key strategy, despite of all the changes with uh, Steam and everything, how do you separate yourself from that so that you, as a marketer, as a person that's branding your own game, is always going to be set up for success, no matter what everyone else is doing? Uh, what is the key way to kind of keep you in line to, to, to make yourself successful? Um, well, it's, I think it's to be adaptable and to adapt to the market. So... You know, I used to make casual games and sell them on Big Fish and so on. And as those markets declined, I started looking at Steam. Too late, actually. I should have moved to Steam a lot earlier. But then figuring out how that works and building up on that. And maybe if something else comes along, um, I will move to that. In fact, I've already got things in the pipeline that I don't want to talk about yet, but that aren't Steam related. So, you know, you've got to be ad adaptable and you've got to try new things out. And in order to do that, you need to either have a game that you can make fairly quickly or do what I've done, which is I've got a game that I reuse the engine and then I modify the gameplay. I add new stuff in and put new assets in. So it's not the same development time as making something from scratch. So a lot of developers don't reuse stuff. They just um, want to make something brand new each time. And I get that, but you can do that in game jams if you want that sort of vibe. If you're running a business, you've also got to sort of reuse what you've already got. Um, and adapt it to the markets. And that's why my latest game, Ancient Enemy, is like my past game, Shadowhand, except it's got a more kind of, I, I would say, grimdark theme suitable for Steam. And we've altered the mechanics based on the way um, people are sort of have given us feedback from the first one and stuff like that. So it is be adaptable. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Being adaptable. I mean, it doesn't have to just stay within the indie uh, indie landscape. Obviously, we're, we're talking to a lot of mobile development. We're talking to a lot of uh, to AAA developers. Being adaptable is the key thing, I feel, that makes anybody a survivor. Because as soon as we get comfortable is when we start wavering off. We start losing our edge. We start being aware of what's going on around us. And uh, I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of developers get caught off guard uh, when the employers don't want to employ them anymore. So uh, I think that type of mentality is true for pretty much anything, not just games, but any industry. I do have a question from the Twitch audience, and I just want to remind anybody that are uh, wanting to ask questions to Jake, you can YouTube, wherever you're watching, you can go ahead and ask them because we will be asking them live. Yep. So here, here it goes, Jake. All right. Um, I'm Brandon Kale. H.S. Kimpton 
asked, how many games did it take before you started to earn profit for your game development? Uh, so it was my third game, which, uh, well, actually, it did make some money, but it took many years to make that money. So do you know what? My fifth game is more accurate. Five games. But I did make a lot of them very quickly, and um, that was two years after I started, and that was actually contract work. So I proved that I could make games, and I got hired to make a, a game, and I got paid contract work to do that with a with a revenue share on the end. So... Um, and then after that, each one has made okay from either okay to pretty good money. Nice. All right, so I've got one coming from, it looks like, Silent Hero. And they're saying in Twitch, how feasible of a business model is it to sell the assets from your game while it's still in development to generate income during development? I've never done that, and I probably wouldn't want to do it because... Um, I want my game to have unique assets, sound. Um, well, normally, you can't sell sound anyway due to the license agreements with the musicians or audio people. The artwork, hopefully, you own for your game, but you don't really want it on another game, in my opinion. That's also why I wouldn't buy an asset pack um, from the Unity store and use it on one of my games. It wouldn't be unique. It's okay for prototyping, um, but it's never going to have all the assets you want in the same style for your game. So I, I've never done it. I mean, maybe some people have. And um, great if, if that's worked for them, but I personally wouldn't do it. Yeah, I, I've thought about doing something like that after my game is sold. So i.e. like you sell the game and then let's say your tails start to go back down to two, three copies a day or less. I would say, hey, here's the asset pack I used or here's the sound pack or the animations. But that's after the initial sales spike. I would probably do something like that personally. Yeah, it makes sense. And one thing I did do years ago was I sold my game engine for 50 bucks a pop and I sold 200 of those for oh, $10,000. And then I sold a license of it to Big Fish Game for some more money. So and was engines the, are worth more probably than assets. Was that the Blitz uh, engine that you then wrote over that engine or you did like another unique ground up engine? Yes, it was that Blitz engine. Gotcha. Uh, next question I have comes to you from, it looks like Freddyia. I hope I pronounced that right on Twitch. Is it viable to release your game by yourself, like on your own site versus, you know, going through a, a marketplace for games, the Discord store or the Unreal Epic Game Store, uh, Unity Store, or what's the, the Steam? Yeah, that funny s portal called Steam. Yeah, um... I almost yeah, forgot I it. That's the sad part. I have released games on my own site. All of them. Uh, I, yeah, all my games are released on my own site. But is it viable? Absolutely not. I mean, I made like $50 last month from games on my own site, right? So I've got a Patreon now, and it's making more money than that. Um, it used to be sort of viable. So a lot of indies who've been around as long as I have used to sell direct before Steam. And some of them did pretty good. Some of them even got to sort of six figures a month. But that revenue has been slowly dropping off. Why? Because everyone goes to Steam. They want their games on Steam and that, that library. And we've had mobile and other platforms and consoles. So people's money is spread out. And people aren't sort of as trusting to go to a dev site and get it from there, even if it's DRM free, because there are no achievements or whatever, you know, other aspects. So it's not viable, but you can do it. And I always do it because I think 
that's I'm in indie, so you know that's what I do. I sell the games myself on my website. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I do have a question regarding to that. Like, um, you you were mentioning before how, um, you were using your website, you were using different avenues, Patreon being a crowdfunding source, so you don't have to go all in with Kickstarter, mm. all or nothing. Uh, I see a lot of developers, uh, indie, uh crowd that are using patreon as a way as like pay as i go type of way yeah. it's it's, it's kind of like fund me as i go as i kind of build this like internal testing group to 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 test my ideas but at the same time have a, an actual steady revenue stream uh like is that something that is starting to blossom in, in your opinion well, Kickstarter, I saw some stats a while ago. Kickstarter sort of leveled off in terms of the amount of um, game dev uh, projects on there. But yeah, some people do that very successfully. We're trying the Patreon, but most people I know don't get more than several hundred dollars a month. So that's not really enough to live off. It's useful and nice. Um, uh, the only ones that make thousands are sort of like, you know, pornographic content, basically. <laughs> so, and I'm not making that <laughs> at, at the moment, you know, who knows? Um, so, uh, you know, it's definitely, you've got to look at all kind of avenues to, to make money. And I've got my eggs in many different baskets. I've got 10 games out there making money on casual games, uh, portals, and lots of them on Steam. I'm publishing someone else's game. We've got the Patreon, I sell direct. I used to make money from ads on my website, but I've got rid of most of them now. So, it's kind of like whatever you can do that's not too time-consuming, but you have to evaluate everything and see, is it going to generate a decent return? Like some sites generate virtually no money at all and others generate a lot more. And so you can't be wasting your time too much. You want to ask around and find out, is it worth, is it worth your time? All right. So... I think you've offered a lot of key information here, and I've even tried to like throw some curveballs your way. So I'm going to ask you now for just like a general like, hey, if you're really going to do this indie thing, you know, make sure you get your money in order, like you said. Uh, you know, uh, make sure your games are across portals. Make sure you have you know an expectancy of like your wish list to actual sales ratio. But here's my key question. You did this for a reason. Like you love video games, you love making indie games. You left one career to make this jump and now you're doing it full time. When things don't go well, when things look dark, when things look like, man, I might not be able to push on, right? I'm not asking for any sort of like practical advice here, just maybe it's like some sort of emotional pick me up. To all the people who are in the I might need to give this up or I don't think I have it in me. Like what it, what is your what, what well-wishing do you think you would offer to somebody or even to yourself who was in a time where like, man, they were at the valley and not the peak, you know what I mean? Because there's definitely a lot of stress and emotional strain in being completely dependent for all of your revenue, not having a steady paycheck, not having set expected work that you need to complete. And because a variety of things lead to you being successful in indie. And so there's, it's a lot for somebody's mind to have to deal with all the time. So I guess what you know, pat on the back support could you offer our audience who might be in that position? Okay, well, let's have a think about that. So um, you're dead right in that when you run a business, you don't have certain money coming in. Um, you know, you don't have, I, I think it's worse for um, you 
poor Americans who have to pay, you know, all this health insurance stuff as well. That's another big, big worry that I don't have to worry about in my, you know, socialist UK country, right? So um, that's good. But, you know, it's not just the games. Like, all games have a sort of life cycle where you're excited about them, and this is great, and then there's this dip, um, and you feel, oh, my God, I'm never going to finish thing, and then eventually you push out the other end. And that can be combined with life events, like maybe you get ill, yeah, or you injure yourself, or your partner has a problem, or you have a bereavement in the family. So, um, oh, there's any number of different things which can... Um, you know, cause you some kind of downers. Um, but ultimately, I remember that, you know, I love making games and I've got into this because it's my hobby that I love and I've been doing it my whole life. And sometimes you have to accept that, okay, you're having a down patch or downtime and then you need to sort of basically get outside, um, get some nature, you know, parks and walks and that kind of stuff. And also I do things like play other video games that get me inspired again and then I want to get back to making my own game. I also do stuff like listening to chip tunes and, and trance music and stuff that uplifts my spirit, right? Um, you know, but it's okay to have off days, but you always try to stay in a routine. That's one of the things I do is I have a routine. I get up, I know what I'm doing, I start. And I keep this list of tasks, like I've said before, but I have a lot of easy tasks uh, at the top of it. So when I'm feeling low energy, I can just tackle an easy task um, and feel good about doing something, anything, even a five minute task. And that normally motivates me to carry on. And I try not to worry about the work as a whole ahead of me, the mountain. I'm, I'm, I sort of take each small step at a time and try to visualize a positive outcome of me shipping the game and me being very happy with it. So um, it's a whole bunch of things, but it's a, it, that is as hard as making games yourself, staying motivated. It's something that I work on um, every day and I don't always succeed, but I, I keep working on it. Yeah, one of the, the major things I've seen is that the, the runway, being able to build that for yourself, having the confidence to keep on that path through the ups and downs. Um, with that being said, you know, Larry and I are... I can't are hear you at the moment, guys, because I'm getting a lot of buffering. Oh, oh no worries. Um, Maybe wrap it up a As you are getting us, uh, I was talking about the runway, uh, how indie development is all about staying on that path and being sustainable, right? And working the issues out. And it's not about hitting home runs, but it's a marathon, right? So with that being said, Larry and I have both finally are working for ourselves and we are on that runway. And uh, there are times that we look at that as like, that's a really far path. <laughs> so how do you keep yourself motivated? Is it all about financially, you know, uh, keeping yourself stable enough to kind of uh, save up for those rainy days or is it something more mentally um, comprehensive than that yeah what's your big carrot I think he's getting our feet slowly okay I kind of missed some of that guys because of some buffering but I think you were saying how do you save up for rainy days and keep your s stuff going is that right yes that is correct basically yes how do you get through all the rough patches even though you feel like uh you're at the end in most days 
Okay, cool. So, so when I first started, I mean, I did some other work on the side, like um, I did some IT consultancy. So I went out and got rid of viruses off people's computers and uh, installed networks in businesses. Uh, my, my partner, my wife, she was earning um, some money, which helped out as well. And also, we just lived very frugally at first. You know, we didn't spend much money. I even borrowed money to make it through tough patches. And then I topped up my income with um, contract work and stuff to survive. So I just did whatever I could do, basically, to, to survive until sort of finances got better. And even still, you know, I have ups and downs. I get some money in the bank and you've got to be careful not to blow it all. Like, don't get a big studio and spend all your money on that. Um, only spend a proportion of your income on the next project so you've got something in the bank you, you've always got to have a runway and that's why you know working with other people who can perhaps help fund you or you can get a grant is, is very useful as well you've just got to do whatever you can do if you believe in it enough and, and want to have success and that sounds like you guys are on that path and i wish you the very best of luck with it thank you and you're helping us on that path by being one of our featured guests in the game dev unchained expo first one so we want to thank you very much for your time and your consideration for being here to help us uh even though you know a lot of people know what you do and a lot of people are here to see you uh we still appreciate that you know every now and then you're like you know those game dev unchained guys they're all right i'll do a podcast i'll, I'll do a speech so what good on you man we appreciate your support with this we really do and uh the platform is yours we are at the end uh anything that you want to promote of course we do have your your uh, um Twitter handle. No worries. Uh, but yeah, and anything else uh, you want to promote, go for it. Yeah. Okay, sure. Um, well, I just want to thank you two actually for putting this conference on because having a free online conference for people packed full of epic speakers is, is brilliant. So, um, massive thanks to you two for, for organizing this and for all the other speakers and for everyone watching. Um, I've got to go and teach Aikido now. That's something I do, by the way, that uh. keeps my brain um, working in different ways when I'm not at the computer. Nice. Um, but, you know, I've got a game called Ancient Enemy, which is on um, Steam. It, we're, I'm actually collecting wish lists for that game at the moment, and it's due out later this summer. I'm going to post a link into the Twitch stream, and um, perhaps if you could all take a look and uh, click that and share that round, I, I'd really appreciate it. But just thanks again and and all the best always man thanks again to you as well and good luck in class